Music to Code By is taking the developer world by storm. Now there are six extra tracks available online in addition to the original three. That's nine Pomodoros of pure productivity just waiting for you. Check them out at mtcb.pwop.com. Net Rocks, episode 1238, with guest Gary Wisniewski, recorded Friday, December 11th, 2015. Hey, Happy New Year, it's Net Rocks, this is Carl Franklin, and this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're almost at the end of this year and having a little party here, a remote party. Gary Wisniewski is here, and we'll be talking to him in just a few minutes. But uh, I don't know. This is going to be as much about containers and technology as it is sort of looking back, I think. I suspect it's not going to be about containers at all. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The fact that we've struggled to get the show started because you guys could stop talking is sort of a hint of where this show is going to go. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, let's get started with uh, Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? I don't believe I've ever brought this up on the show before. Maybe I have, but it's been 13 years. you got to cut me some slack, so I'm sorry if I have. But there is a web archive out there. There is. There is. It's called archive.org. And if a website goes down, for example, and there was some information on it that you really, really want, you can go back to that website on archive.org and maybe, just maybe, there will be a version of it there that you can look at. They're archiving the internet. And I've used this on many occasions, but I just don't know if I ever brought it up before. So That's fair. And yeah, and I will be bringing up a site on archive.org a little bit later in the show for reasons. Oh, is that that why you mentioned it? For reasons that will reveal itself. Okay. I suspect I could think of a couple of sites you might just bring up for that. Yeah. You know, one of the, one of the sites I brought up on archive.org is just because I miss it. What's that? Rory's old site. Oh, yeah. Neapolitan. Neapolitan, yeah. It's still on, it's on archive. So, you know, just because someone takes a website down doesn't mean it's gone. Right, right, right. Well, anyway, that's what I have. Go look and explore and enjoy yourself immensely. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1138, the one we did with Jeff Casimir, when we were talking about shepherding novice developers. Because I strongly suspect, seeing how the show has got three old developers on it. Yeah. That this is going to be a talking point in some degree or another. So okay. it seemed kind of inevitable to me. So this comment comes from Joshua Carmody, who says, Great show as always, guys, regarding the comment read at the beginning of the show. At an earlier job, I did have an issue where some of my more, quote, junior programmers complained that they were not getting trained or mentored as much as they had hoped. Looking back, I could see that the real cause of the problem, at least in that particular organization, was a pervasive culture of always putting out fires. 
The salespeople were allowed to promise the client basically anything they wanted without consulting the people who actually had to act on those promises. Mm -hmm. Classic mistake. Mm -hmm. Management also had a bad habit of prioritizing short-term gains over long-term benefits because of this technical debt was never paid down and significant research and development was unheard of. Well, that's that's incredibly rare. (laughs) Yeah, that never happens. (laughs) Duh. In this environment, the senior developers were simply felt they could not take the time to engage with junior developers as much as they deserved. We told potential hires they needed to be self-starters and take the initiative to learn because the existing developers already had six months of work to do and all of it was due last week. And they wouldn't be able to pull themselves away from projects to help the newcomers. At the time, I felt too inexperienced and insecure to try and change the situation. But today, I work in an organization that has the total opposite mentality. We take time frequently to pay down technical debt. We make sure never to overpromise to our clients just to make a sale. And we encourage experimentation and sane workloads. In this environment, mentoring newer developers has become much easier and everyone has benefited. I would suggest that any organizations where developer mentoring is lacking and developer knowledge seems to be stagnating to first check themselves to see if there is something about their management style that is preventing a healthier flow of knowledge from developing. Hmm. Great comment. Yep. Hey, you know, it's a symptom of an organization is really what he's saying. If you haven't got time, yeah, and you get into that whole, if you can't change your organization, you should change your organization. It's just too easy to fall into that trap. Yeah. And with so much demand for what we're able to do, mm-hmm. you really don't believe that you have to put up with it. There are choices. Yep. Hey, Joshua, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of the social media. We post every show to Facebook and Google+. If you comment there, we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. Hang on one second. And, of course, you can reach us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Please don't hold back. Uh, before I introduce Gary, let's uh, talk briefly about the .NET Rocks Scottish Tour of 2016 that's coming up here in January. Scottnet rocks. Yep. The 18th, 19th, and 21st will be in Glasgow, Edinburgh, and Aberdeen, recording live shows in front of a live audience. And uh, I believe these are free events, aren't they? They are all free events. Yeah. And we'll be, uh, Gary Short's going to be with us. Yep. He's the one in Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got Chris Canal in, uh, in Glasgow, which mm-hmm. is on January 18th. And then Edinburgh is Chris McDermott, which, we, uh, which is on January 19th. Awesome. Well, if you want to check it out and you're in that part of the world, go to tinyurl.com slash scottnetrocks. And you don't have to be from Scotland to go to scottnetrocks. No. In fact, I think we might give a mug away to anybody who comes from the furthest away. I think that would be an awesome idea, my yeah, friend. That's a great idea. So, you know, if you're in China. <laughs> And you want to see us do a show live in front of an audience and you could be part of that audience? Come on up to Scottnet Rocks. Or maybe Australia. Or I don't, Australia. I don't know anybody in Australia, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anybody anywhere. What All do right. I know? All right. Well, very good. Uh, speaking of Australia, let's introduce Gary Wisniewski. Gary is a software engineer and a serial entrepreneur who has years of experience in the tech sector and venture-funded startups. He was the system architect in several commercial software products, including the Ashton Tate Professional Compiler, Microsoft DB Grid for Visual Studio, and he even had 15 minutes of fame in the mid-80s for developing the hardware, software, and manufacturing techniques for one of the first 16-bit microcomputers. In 1996, Gary established a respected web development agency in Melbourne, Australia. 
projects focused on entertainment properties for major record companies like BMG, Universal Music, Warner Music, and others. 1999 led to a new division that pioneered broadband webcasting in Asia-Pacific, using television crews to do some of the world's first professional webcasts. Gary has done some pretty odd stuff as well. For three years, he and two partners created SLCN, now Treat TV, that's T-R-E-E-T, the world's first virtual television network with regular programming from virtual worlds. Many real-life people were featured in regular shows like Metanomics, hosted by Robert Bloomfield of Cornell, and guests included notable authors and thinkers such as Douglas Rushkoff, Noam Chomsky, and many others. Gary Designing was lead architect on Edge 80, a cloud-based content adaptation engine. Gary's currently developing new software in the container marketplace, such as the Chaperone Process Manager for Docker. He regularly provides expertise to tech startups as a consultant with Australian government commercialization programs. He currently lives in a small bayside village on the Mornington Peninsula near Melbourne. Welcome, Gary. Well, thanks, Carl. It's uh, good to hear your voice after all these years. It is. And as many of you don't know, Gary and I are old friends. In 1994, we started, oh, a little website that some of you might have remembered, uh, the Carl and Gary's VB homepage. Which, wow. <laughs> 1994, yeah, if you go to cgvb.pwop.me, that's M-E, that'll take you to the archive.org. Uh, one of the latest, and by latest, I mean 1996, versions of that, which we were talking about, you know, check out vb.net. So, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was uh it was unexpected. I I remember when like the first month or something we had I think there like like 50 visitors and it was like we were ecstatic. <laughs> well, and I remember when we got up to 80,000 hits a day and I just thought that number was so colossal I couldn't wrap my head around it. Yeah, yeah. I would sit there and watch the logs go by and see people click and go, "Wow, this is this is magical. People yeah. from France." <laughs> <laughs> What are they doing? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's hard to describe that to people today. You know, that transition from when there was no internet right. to all of a sudden where you could ping people across the ocean. It was just a huge change. It was, yeah. <laughs> and this is a website I visited back in the day. You know, this was the resource online for Visual Basic. Was this or going to CompuServe? Yeah, well, actually, when we started it, there was only a, a, a one-page MSDN uh, website from Microsoft, but it was it had nothing on it. And then the black wheel page. Yeah, the, <laughs> remember it was black and it had a wheel in the middle. That's right. <laughs> <It was> like <laughs> we should use archive.org to find that horrible old page. Yeah. I but, don't think archive.org goes back that far. No. I mean, no. we're talking 94 or yeah, so. Yeah, it was 94 when we started. when we started, yeah. And then I also remember that awesome picture of the diner, the Carl and Gary's diner that some one of your one of your Photoshop people did as a composite. I remember this. Oh yeah, yeah. When we when we started the web agency down here, that was after uh, you were you you pretty much were doing the whole thing for at least a year by that point. Yeah, and uh, and somebody on the team here may, did a redesign and did a masthead that mocked up the CGVB cafe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what fun! Yeah, what a fun. lot of fun. Yeah. 
But it was a really awesome picture. We got more f- compliments on that picture than we did like our lists and things, which was what we were all about. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, I find it interesting. I don't talk about it, you know, because it's old ancient history now. But every once in a while, somebody says, you know, I just put two and two together that you're the Carl from Carl and Gary's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and now we have well, the Gary from Carl and Gary's. Right. Yeah, when I was on Dev on, uh, Dev on Fire, David Reel's show, and uh, I, I mentioned it, and all of a sudden, he just stopped in the middle of the show and said, oh, yeah, that Gary and that <laughs> Carl. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. very funny. But the, you know, before, we, before we get off this topic, you know, a lot of people might not know the story of how it started. We we were actually drinking in New Orleans, right? I mean, we were at a tech ad. Yeah. Well, you know, it was very crazy. I, I think it was very impulsive. Yes. I remember flying down, and I don't know how we communicated back then. There were no mobile phones. Well, there um, was CompuServe and there was email. You know? I, somehow, there was an email that said, listen, when I land, there'll be time. Maybe we should go down and to find some music down on Bourbon Street. Actually, we, we, were, we were at a tech ed. That's what it was. Yeah, we were at right. tech ed because right. you, your company and my company had, had partnered to uh, put True Grid in – Apex True Grid in Crescent's Quick Pack Professional, I think. Right, right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So we were sort and, of hanging uh, out because of that. And the 94 and tech ed was in New Orleans. Yeah. It, it was indeed. Yes, I can tell you that it was, at least the parts I remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's New Orleans. You usually don't remember much. Right. Yeah. Well, there was one of these things that we had both just sort of discovered that, you know, web pages were getting hot. It was 1994, so Netscape was coming out soon and and all of that stuff. And it was like, yeah, maybe we should put something together. And I guess you had a server at Apex that you – Started right, on. right. I it was on a on a Sun uh, workstation, Solaris workstation I, or something. Yeah, that I think it was NCSA HTTPD uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that I had running on there. It was right. uh, it was really sort of an off the cuff sort of. Yeah, it we was. should do this. You right. know, you I say t- a lot of things when you're drinking hurricanes, walking down, <laughs> yeah. listening to music. <laughs> no, this one just happened to pan out. I'll say. Yeah. Well, you know, I taught myself HTML and you gave me FTP access and I was editing with Notepad and uploading these, you know, graphics and things and had to learn FTP. But, you know, that's that's what we did back then. It was great. All right. Enough yeah. of that. Enough reminiscing. Okay. Good, One of the good. coolest things um, that I remember is just sort of hanging out with you and talking to you about technology. And you were never... One of these guys who believed hype of any kind. And of course, I was in the hype business back then, right? R- writing articles and, you know, writing books and speaking and all of that stuff. And not to say I was in that, but I was excited because this was all really new to me, you know? And you had already been doing this for, you know, 20, 30 years back then, I think. No, 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 no. 20 I'm years not that anyway. Old. <laughs> oh, 20 years. I, since 1980. Since oh, all right. So, yeah. Yes. Okay, 14, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. But you've had you had a lot of experience by the time, you know, uh we sort of became friends and I just remember that very sort of skeptical um attitude that you had that rubbed off on me in a huge way. Just to never take anything, especially when it comes from a company or a representative of a product, never take it at face value. And I just that was an invaluable lesson that I learned from you. 
Well, you know, I mean, as programmers, I think every programmer learns that. You know, when some some new product comes along and says, listen, this is going to save you hundreds of hours. Everything is going to change. It's going to be revolutionary. I mean, if you've been programming for a while, you're going to... Yeah. You're going to sit there and say, "Well, show me first, You know, right. you kind of you kind of have to. I don't think I'd be that polite. I would start with, "Yeah, right." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but you know, what choice do people have? Because everybody, you know, you have to promote things. You have to hype them because if you, you know, your competition is doing it, it's just inevitable. It's like any other product, you know. Right. Well, I think you know that sort of lent me to that mindset where I question everything. And maybe one of the reasons why I got into, you know, why I wanted to do a podcast where I'm constantly asking questions, because if anybody sort of listens to my line of questioning, Richard's very much, here's what we agree on. And I'm very much, you know, how does this suck? (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of try to poke holes in the argument, you know, as politely as I possibly can. But yeah, that's one of the things that, uh, that, that is valuable, I think. Well, I I don't know. I have these, to me, it seems so commonplace. I have these rules where, I mean, my primary goal when I program is to try to break everything I write. I just want to break everything I write. I want it to fail constantly. So if it's not failing, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. And and so it's got to fail a few times before I believe it's really working, Mm. you know? And, uh, and, uh, I, I know a lot of people who code and, uh, they're terrified of debugging. Or they're not terrified of it, but they actually get frustrated. Oh, a bug. As if as if you're not gonna have any bugs. <laughs> like, yeah. like what kind of world is that? <laughs> well, at least you wrote enough software for something to break. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um I wrote this uh, article recently, which got a lot of coverage. And one of the things I told people is I said, you know, the only way to really move forward in software is to hold everything you know suspect. And I think that's really a good, you know, the moment you get comfortable with something and you believe that you found the holy grail, that's the moment when you're in the greatest danger. That's yeah, <laughs> true. It's true. When you're coasting, you're rolling downhill. Yep. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Stackify. Our dev-centric friends at Stackify have been awarded PC Magazine's Editor's Choice for Application Performance Management, stating the depth of application information provided by Stackify totally outshined the other products in this category. Because Stackify so successfully integrates errors, logs, and metrics into a core APM Plus tool, it's a must-have for .NET developers which is why PC Magazine's Paul Farrell calls it one of the best infrastructure management services of 2015. Try Stackify now for free, and they'll ship you their coveted Developers Against Humanity card game. Just activate your account. Use the link bit.ly slash netrocks to build better apps faster and get your free game. Once you've written some code, and you sort of see how people explain the code you've written, you got to get a sense for just how much everybody's explanation about code you've written is. It's something to be suspicious of. Yeah. I'm not sure I understood that, but I'm sure I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great answer. You should go with that most of the time. <laughs> well, you know, it's, this it's, it's very much the corollary to when you read a newspaper article or any piece of news about something you know a lot about and you see all the mistakes. Yeah. They, you mean, that should be your hint that 
every article is like that. Just because you don't know the stuff's wrong doesn't mean it isn't wrong. Yeah, I think people forget that programming really is uh, is is science at some level. I mean, it yeah. sounds weird to say that, but you know, you. Everybody that writes a program starts with some hypothesis about, well, you know, usually the hypothesis is this is going to take me two weeks and it ends up taking three months. But um, but you start out with some hypothesis. Yeah, I think I can do this. Yes, it seems reasonable. And then you go through this process of proving to yourself and usually your manager or client or whatever that you can. And it's sort of an it. Otherwise, we wouldn't use iterative processes. If we knew how it was going to turn up to turn out, there'd be no need for it. Right. You get it all done the first try. Yeah, so mm. I think if people don't don't feel that okay, this is science. We're trying to prove a theory we had yesterday and the code we write today, and if you look at it as if it's a done deal, you're just miss. You're missing the opportunity to create something that's the best. I think. Sure, I, I'm sad when a software project comes to an end. You know, because now there's no more puzzles to be solved. I, I used to be the guy who wanted to get to done the fastest. Right, I wanted to be the first to say done. You know. And uh, that's just not what it's all about. <laughs> well, yeah, you fall in love with your software. The worst thing that could happen to it is it gets finished. Yes, that's right. I don't know. Do you suffer from that love of wanting to just keep working on the process no matter what? Or are you happy to say, uh, you know, okay, I think this is done now. I'll walk away. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a long time ago. I used to really fall in love with the things I did. But I got used to the idea that the things you create are really often ephemeral, and sometimes if you spend too much time falling in love with the thing you're doing today, you just happen to miss the opportunity to start on something that might actually really be the the thing you wish you were doing, Mm. you know? So... It's it, but it's like a paint. I mean, in many ways, it's like a painting. You know, it's very hard to walk away from a piece of software that people are going to use when you know that there are things that they're going to encounter that just aren't going to work right, right. or whether or they're going to run into a gap somewhere. But if people, my my general feeling is, if people aren't using something. Why am I writing it? You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, but if people are, you want to keep improving it for them. So, you know, you don't want to say, well, you know, that's done. Here's the product. I'm going on to something else. If people are using it, it's almost kind of a commitment. Either you need to carry that torch or somebody else does, I think, you know. Yeah. I'm also stunned at how demoralizing it is to a developer to find out their code's not being used. Like, it's, it's very deeply visceral to someone. It, it, you may not think of it while they're writing it. But you find out that a project you, you know, put your heart and soul into for some time is not in the field anymore. It's something it's, it's very painful. I'm sure we could start an encounter group for people on GitHub. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry about your lack of check-ins. You know, it, it's, uh, it's amazing how much stuff is out there that people aren't using. And, uh, I don't know. I think wanting people to use things is, is really the right motivation to create anything and software, especially if people forget. So if, if it's not being used and people feel sad, eh, that's not a bad thing. You know, yeah. you should always be creating things that people use. Can we play a little word association? I'll, I'll say something. You say the first thing that comes to mind. Wow. All right. I've you done ready? this since I was with my shrink. Yeah, sure. All right, here we go. <laughs> ready? Here's the first one. Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna swear. 
Um, I love this game. You know, I don't have, I don't have, nothing comes to mind. <laughs> like, CGI. Uh, Pearl. There you go. <laughs> In fact, Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I didn't say anything. I'm waiting for the yeah, response yes. here. It's funny because the first I was thinking when you were talking about uh, Carl and Gary's, I was thinking about how we had like a search engine. Like, I, yeah, it, I know. I'm sorry. It's like <laughs> if anybody could have seen what I'm talking about when I say search engine, you had to search the site and there was no, there was no Google or anything. Right. So. All that was done in Perl. Those were all Perl CGI scripts. Yeah. So the moment you said CGI, in fact, I wouldn't think I've, I'm not sure I ever wrote anything that was really CGI except that old stuff in Perl. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what, I didn't know what Perl was. And then I looked at it and I was like, I don't even want to know what Perl is. <laughs> it's still around too. In fact, they just came out with a new version. Oh. Amazingly. Yep. Yep. Pearl for the cloud. Uh, <clears throat> <laughs> well, everything's for the cloud. Isn't the cloud the, the most ultimate, uh, is the right. ultimate hype word? Okay. Yeah. Like, really, cloud equals on the internet, right? <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about completely misused and hijacked terms. You know, cloud is right up there with one of them. It's it, probably it, the but, most- you know, it's come. It's come to mean sort of a mindset, you know, like when you, when you talk to an enterprise client or something, you say, well, what do you think about the cloud? What you're really saying is, what do you think about moving mission critical data outside of your data center to the control of other people? You know, it's come to mean something mm-hmm. more, more architectural and philosophical. Right. I, I, I mean, Absolutely architectural because you could do a cloud implementation internally. It's got more to, you know, more to do with just everything's virtualized, no har- no hardware dependencies of any kind, you know, redundancy in instance, elasticity on demand in the, the public cloud piece of, Hey, I'm going to push this stuff into somebody else's data center because clearly they run it better than I do. You know, that, that, that's another element of that because we've had that for a long time. Well, that, you know, that's we, what it means to us, Richard. And I'm totally in agreement with you because we understand it. But there's so many people out there that throw that term around just like a server, you know, and I've said that before, you know, let's see, you connect to my cloud and I'll connect to your cloud and then we'll go up into the big cloud. And then this, what are you talking about? Cloud I'll on tell your you, desktop. I live, <clears throat> I live in a, uh, although in, in my sort of, in some ways, I think like someone that lives in the United States, but I live here in this uh, beautiful wine region near the coast, mm. and and there's a great pub across the street. They have great music, and I go over there and I talk to people who work in wineries and know viticulture and everything like that. Many, you know, and when I say cloud to them, it's really interesting. <laughs> You know, like we're right. like the Silicon Valley of our region and our little house here. And it is sometimes amazing the gulf between what we as technical people know and what the majority of people actually think about these things because right. we're actually in the minority. Yeah. yeah. And and a long way disconnected from the, the gestalt of regular mortality when it comes to this sort of stuff. Yeah, I'm reminded of that so often when I see people – trying to do things that I believe are just the utterly most simple things in the world, and they just can't figure it out. And it reminds me of how, I don't know, how I've I've almost convinced myself that things that are easy 
the, the things that are actually quite hard are easy, you know, because I know them so well. It's definitely been a campaign I've been on when talking to developers to say, stop calling it easy because you figured it out. Right. He's, you know, right. ne- don't, then the, neglect the months you spent trying to figure it out and now you call it easy. Yeah. My flip I, I version of that is everything's easy when you have the answer. I, I think it's the biggest problem that software product creators and developers have is that they can't figure out how to create something for people who are not like them. I think that is the most difficult. Like if you're, if you're a car designer, that's part of your skill. You know, like I'm sure that the people that design the cheapest possible car are, are not the people that would want to be driving that one. But they know markets and they know how to design things for other people. And I think most people who are programmers, unless they're really in really great professional organizations, just don't know how to design things for other people. You know, I'd, I'd even argue with you on the car thing that I do think we cars miss fairly often, too. Yeah, yeah, it's it, true, true. I mean, uh, but if you look at the best product designs, you know, that are out there, not across the board, they're the skill they have is understanding what you need, not what the designer needed. Totally and, agree. And I just think that is really, really hard for software people. You know, we're so used to menus and, 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 oh yeah, well, I'll find it. I'll dig around in here and find it. And we expect mm. that users are sort of going to do that too. Right. And, yeah. and that's just not right. Well, on the yeah. web, two clicks is enough to send people packing, right? Yeah. If it's yeah. not right there, they won't find it. They won't see it. Yep. Yeah, I, and so, I think we're in an interesting point for software development, especially. This is a, from a keynote that Carl and I do together, where you know we bring up the fact that because mobile is now the primary way that non-development people communicate over the internet and communicate with businesses and, and other systems in general, the computer you build that software on is not the computer your user is using anymore. Yeah, that's so hard for people. I know people who've started complete companies, built complete web web properties, and when they launched their product, for the first time, they said, my God, look at these numbers I'm getting from analytics. 75% of the people are on, are on mobile phones, and I'm sort of like, right. only 75%? <laughs> yeah, that's all? <laughs> you know, and they're just discovering that, and of course, you know, Well, and I think this desktop PC fixation that we have as developers is is starting to really burn us now because more and more regular mortals don't even own one or they've stopped using it at least. It's collecting dust in the corner. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, I must be that happy time again. Time to announce our new website, Carl and Gary's Technical Diary of Two Cranky Old White Guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh well, that would be fun, wouldn't it? It's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with Dev Express UI controls and libraries, and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today, and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard. DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best, without limits or compromise. 
Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Eugene Citrisky. Congratulations, Eugene. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Eugene. Eugene just won the D Experience subscription from Developer Express. That's a big pile of awesome from them. And as the last winner of the year, fantastic. Congratulations again for that. We'll send you two. <laughs> two subscriptions. How's that? Nice. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and answer a few questions and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. and every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, sorry, you just missed it. We give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And we ask our guests, too, Gary, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, oh, this ought to be good, uh, what would you buy? Wow. <clears throat> well, you know, I'd probably buy every single home automation device I could get my hands on. Oh, cool. You know, I would. I mean, if you saw my house, you'd actually look around and say, is there anything you don't have? I mean, it, it's like an unbelievable uh, collection of different types of computers and stuff. But I'm really into the to the Internet of Things stuff. Mm. And I just think that the... You know, surrounding myself with as much of that stuff as possible so you can feel what it's going to be like 10 years from now. Yeah. I, I'm sure $5,000 would probably just scratch the surface. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Especially if I, well, I don't know. I've seen some of these, uh, home automation systems or even like just a good, uh, just a good like B&O system <laughs> could set you back <laughs> twice that, yeah. you know, but. But that's what I do. That's, it's that's funny. Def- Just a couple of weeks ago, we did a show on home automation. It's a, it's you know, it's a lot of people are into it now, and of course, you know, if they saw those movies from the eighties, they'd be scared to death still. But uh, what's your take on connecting those things to the internet? How much of that do you like, and how much of it scares you? Uh, it doesn't scare me at all. I mean, no? I think that it's it's like. You know, skydiving is probably scary until you learn how to do it. So, yeah. so with with all these technology things, you know, like yes, yes, there's going to be disasters. Things are going to crash and burn. Airports will flicker out of existence for momentarily because of some IP conflict. But still, <laughs> we'll get past that somehow. You know, mm. we'll get past that. So we you can't do. be scared. Of it, you know, yeah. but I am so unbelievably into it. You know, have you? Have you seen some of the stuff that like Amazon is, they just released this partnership with Broadcom oh, yeah. uh, to do this whole IoT thing. It's going to happen really fast. Yeah, it it's is. Really, it's already happening. It's, it's, yeah. Fantastic stuff. Oh, by the way, uh, we are all having a cocktail because it oh, is yes. even it's Gary. New Year's Eve. Even Gary, it's New Year's Eve, although it's nine o'clock in the morning there. But you said you put some Jim Beam in your coffee or something. Yeah, yeah. Let me just say that um, I'm not going to recommend that one. But it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's the spirit of the times here. I kind of have to, I have, I, well, I have to join in. Have well, to join. I've in. got a taste of Maker's Mark, and I've got some uh, Angel's Envy. So cheers, gentlemen. Cheers. <laughs> cheers. Happy New Year. Absolutely. Happy New Year. So, uh, you know, speaking of old cranky guys, old cranky white guys, which, uh, we are, we, you know, and we sort of, and we touched on this before, but 
as you learn things and forget them, you sort of devalue them because they're not new and shiny. And this is some, this is a sickness that we have as developers. Um, but it really is probably a good idea for you every once in a while to stop what you're doing and sort of glean some of that, uh, knowledge and then just put it to use somewhere for the powers of good. You know, go to your, I don't know, your local coffee shop or a, a store that you frequent or a home, you know, a, a, something where if maybe a friend of yours has a business or something, just go walk through and debug things and fix things up for them. And, you know, just stuff that they don't know. And it really just sort of helps you remember that, oh, yeah, maybe I do know a few things that that aren't uh, expendable. Spreading software goodwill. That's right. <laughs> it is true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I, um, I've been, uh, this old programmer thing has been big lately because I, like I said, I wrote this article and you mm. need to write a link to it somewhere because that's yeah, all I know. want. You just link to my article. Already got five um, things old programmers but, should remember. Yeah. But one of the, th- one of the things that, that, really inspired me to do that is that I see so many people who, who begin, get this old programmer phenomenon where they feel like, well, it's too late for me to do this. And gosh, you know, I don't want to start down another learning path. And I had people that would write back to me because of this article and said, wow, your article really spoke to me and everything like that. I thought my career was over, you know, and I'm just turning 35 and I'm like, Excuse me? <laughs> 35. <laughs> but, you know, you kind of have to constantly be in re- reinventing yourself, I think. Yeah. And it's hard when people get into their 50s or even later. But, hey, if you're not the, – the way I put it, you know, is like, gosh, you know, if uh, if some – whiz kid that's 20 years old can come up with an idea and start a company that goes public by the time they're 23 and it happens, then me being 60, I can do the same thing by the time I'm 63. And Mm. if you don't look at it that way, Mm -hmm. you're kind of defeating yourself coming out of the gate, I think. For sure. You know? Yeah. It's not like, you know, this myth of youth having an advantage, I think it's kind of ridiculous. In this business. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they're just not afraid to jump out of the airplane. That's probably the biggest difference. Yeah, because they don't know enough to know what the ground looks like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've had one of those years. 2015, seeing how this is the last show of the year, has been a year where we've really talked about the disadvantage of this experience. Yeah. And I think back to the show we did uh, that really crystallized in my mind, because we've been dancing around it for a while, was back in April, mm-hmm. uh, Heather Downing. Heather Downing. She was about 23, 24. She'd had, she'd been working, writing code for the past two or three years. She dove big into the mobile side and just like the skydiver, didn't know what was impossible. And so that never held her back. And she'd written, you know, she led with the thing that mattered, code. Here are the projects I've done and was so excited about them. It was really fun to talk to her. She had no old pain, you know, not a bit, none, none. And so I think those are the kind of things that hold us back. You know, we, we sort of get it into our brains that a certain brand of something or a certain technology or a certain whatever methodology doesn't work because it didn't work for us once. Yeah. You know, or it, it screwed us once. And In so, 1995, you got a bad Dell laptop and you've never bought Dell since. Exactly. Is that fair? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, you know, 
experience some of those experiences are totally valid and will help you and most of them won't and right. it's being able to figure out which ones yeah. to to rely on that is the the the, the challenge and throwing most of it away, that's the other challenge. You have to say, well, you know, all this stuff I spent years and years learning and doing and all these the religious wars I had about how right I was about this. Well, that's all wrong. Just throw that out. <laughs> yeah. Or or irrelevant. That's one, it just yeah, doesn't it take, matter. That's one of your mantras, practice. isn't it? To, to throwing away stuff is more important than sometimes than adding new things. You bet. You bet. You have to constantly reinvent yourself. You just have – in fact – if you, if you hold on to something you believed a year ago, you better have a really, really good reason for doing it. Not mm-hmm. just because, oh, it worked then and I believe it's the right thing. And then you start believing it without, without validating it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So you, you really have to learn to let go of almost everything you know as well, you, you turn Well, you can't afford to keep something. validating it all, right? I mean, it piles up. You're going to take all these experiences and you're just going to presume them as truth. And then you go, okay, well, I'm going to go test them. It's like, I got too much stuff to test. So chuck it out because unvalidated assumptions, that is prejudgment. It is prejudice. Yeah. One way I've, I, one of the things I probably know more languages and operating systems than most people. I, I am fluent at least in a dozen languages, more probably. And one of the things I've always found is that when I work in a, in a single language or something, like let's say I write everything in Python, you know, I end up not seeing patterns that 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 are in com- that are in common in other environments. So I find that switching environments constantly, like ah, you know, last year I wrote that in Python. This year I'm going to do something similar. I'm going to do it in Ruby. Next year I'm going to do something similar. I'm going to do it in Go. And all of a sudden you see that you've done this now three times. But look, there are these surprising similarities, and those are the things you don't want to forget. But if you don't shift gears and do something in a different language and a different plat- platform, you never see the, the patterns that are the same. You begin to think in a, in a little bit of a tunnel, I think. So not everybody can do that, but uh, I highly recommend it. Hey, if you, you know? don't mind me getting all technical for a minute, can you tell us about Chaperone? Because I'm fascinated by this. Uh, well, Chaperone is just... Um, <clears throat> Mostly, that's a component that is that that is useful for creating containers. There's a whole lot going on in containers, and containers are like many that you know. No matter what I say, many people out there will disagree with me. So I'll just I'll, you know, containers are like little virtual machines. If you right. played with them or anything like that, yeah, we talked a lot about them. Not not an accurate way to look at it, but it turns out that that it's this new thing all of a sudden. You have this tiny little application sitting in something that's similar to an operating system, and we don't really have the tools for managing that little world, mm. you know. And so I've done about ten uh, deployments for people using containers, and I wrote Chaperone uh, for one of them, and then I open sourced it, and a few other people use it because it helps you in this little micro world that you're in do some things that the macro tools are just too heavy to do, mm. you know? So, and I think that that's probably the thing that, that is going to hold containers back a lot more than people think is that what they do inside the container, there just aren't really good tool sets for that yet. The outside is great, you yeah. know, all the, all the DevOps people and, and, you know, the, the, 
administration people are just, oh, this is wonderful. It's going to be easy to deploy this. And there's tons of technology surrounding containers. But inside, there's not a lot going on. People aren't really thinking about what they're doing inside the containers as any different than they used to. And that needs to change. Ah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, uh, I, it reminds me, uh, and it's completely unrelated technology-wise, but it just reminds me of back in the day of uh, the days of VB, I believe. There was a, what was it, a dictionary or a collection or something like that that the VB used, and it was okay, but it wasn't great. And it, I think it was apartment-threaded and didn't really work on web servers. So you basically wrote one. Oh, yeah. In fact, as recently as like six months ago, somebody wanted a copy of this. Like, honestly, I built this thing in Visual Studio. It's called Flexbag. That's right. I built this thing in Visual Studio. I I swear it had to have been in uh, 1998. Or yeah, 1999. Sounds right. But I built, I built it so that it relied on nothing. It didn't rely on any other libraries. It was, uh, uh, it was apartment threaded, I think. It was, I just built it in the way that said, listen, I want this thing to be bulletproof and I want it never to fail. Right. And it turned out that for 15 years, people were still using that exact DLL. Right. It was like a shock to me. Yeah, I used it extensively. It just had features that the collection didn't have. And, and you know, once we got to the .NET framework, anyway, on our side of it, there's all sorts of collections and dictionaries and that do a lot of things that Flexbag did back then. But it, 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 I brought it up just because you're that kind of guy. Like, you know, if a tool doesn't work for you, you just write your own. Like, I remember when ASP came out, you actually wrote, I, I think it was you that wrote a, a ASP-like environment but you called it boa boa oh, right. i actually wrote it i actually wrote it two years before asp came out you we really, boa like asp boa yeah, yeah yeah we we uh we needed something uh snaky here we needed something here to do sites with and it wasn't we we, we just couldn't find something that had the features we needed but, you know, it's really weird you mentioned Flexbag because there's a piece of code in there written in C that manages dictionaries. And I remember I wrote that piece of code in 1986. Uh, it's like three little C modules. Hmm. And it uses a couple techniques that I learned from reading Don Knuth's books, you know, and I mean, really, really good little dictionary lookup routines. I still have those three C modules unchanged and I use them a week ago in a project I was doing. Wow. I mean, that's three C modules that I wrote. Uh, is that 30 years ago? That's a long time ago. Yeah. That I'm still using. And it's, it's one of the great, it, I don't know. I can't think of anything else that I've ever written that has lasted that long. I'm sure, you know, you hear rumors that deep down in Windows, there's a line of code that Bill Gates wrote. Yeah. Maybe, that's, <laughs> maybe that one's older. <laughs> yeah. It's just always been very impressive to me, people that do that. You know, it's not working for me. I think I'll just write my own. And I and I remember when, when .NET came out, it was, I think it was 1.0 or maybe... 2.0, when it got pretty popular and uh, I ran into you by email or something like that. And uh, what do you think of it? And you're like, yeah, Java's okay, .NET's okay, but they're just not doing it for me. So I'm just writing my own framework. <laughs> right? Well, you know, until you write your own, it, it's not like 
it's funny because we live in this world today where you let's say I need a parser, all right? Well, I go to GitHub or you know, and especially if you're in the sort of Linux world where you can just use npm or apt get and just install stuff. So I need a parser. So quick, poof, there I got it. And uh, it turns out though that that one line of code. Uh, you could have probably done it yourself in five or 10, except that one line of code is triggering calls into like 35 libraries right. that, that contain millions of lines of code. Mm. And I think that people, you're a better programmer if you know when to write the five lines of code yeah. and know That's when the hard part. Right. To, to, to call that, that million line library. And, and I think unless you try it, unless you sit down and write a parser, once and let, or unless you write like the Bresenham algorithm to draw a line on the screen, you know, unless you actually do that, you have no idea whether the software you're using is good or bad. Right. Hmm. And, and, and which is what leads to these crazy, uh, my library is better than your library discussions on, you mm. know, like Stack Overflow where there's endless, no, no, this is better. Oh, no, no, this is better. It's like, right. you know, Prove to yourself it's better. Don't like take somebody's word for it. Right, sure. Yeah, but they and the whole one right way thing drives me crazy too, because there's never one right way. You know, there's so many solutions, successful solutions to problems. I mean, there's plenty of failed ones too. But turns out the tooling's not going to decide your success one way or the other. It, it's one of the things that us old white guys, it would be nice if if we could actually teach the 20-year-olds that. Yeah. Because it's one thing you realize after a while when somebody says, oh, there's only one way. It's like, well, when you've written in a dozen languages after so many years, you say, no, 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 that is absolutely false. <laughs> yeah, so deeply false. You look at it and I'm like, I, yeah, I can't even begin. So yeah. I, yeah. I, heard, I, I had a guy, I had to interview him. For a com- I was contracted with a company. They asked me to do interviews for a bunch of IT stuff. And this kid was smart enough to have Googled me and realized that I had a pretty tight relationship with Microsoft. And in the interview, he railed against me as the enemy. Hmm. Right? Just how I was part of the problem and Microsoft is destroying the world and, and, uh, hmm. and, and, and it's an interview, right? So it's sort of like he winds <laughs> down. And I'm looking at him, and, he's, and he sort of gets his clues, like, oh, yeah, it was my interview. And I said, and I finally said to him, are you done? <laughs> yeah, okay. Like, you don't, yeah, don't worry too much. Look, I'm not even going to argue with you. You know, I'm, you're, you're 23. Right. Wait, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till you're 33. When you're married with a mortgage and a couple of kids, you'll kick your own ass. Yep. Well, you know, there's this management adage about always surround yourself with people that disagree with you, you know? Sure. So maybe that was a great hiring opportunity. <laughs> oh, you know what? He was awesome, by the way. He kicked ass and took names. Wow. Good. But, uh, yeah, you know, I think one of the things about youth is that power of that idealism. I guess maybe that's what it is. We're just not that idealistic anymore because mm. we've seen too many things. Yeah. Young people are very well, cynical today. It's, I don't know, it's, it's one of the reasons why I like to constantly switch things. Like when you said the $5,000 and I want to surround myself with Internet of Things gadgetry, it's because, well, I, I do want to live in that future that's, that's down the road. You know, I don't want to miss out on what's going to happen 10 years from now. Mm. And so it's like, instead of, I, I never want to have that feeling of it's all, it's all been done before. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to fight it by surrounding yourself with, 
shiny objects. Yeah. <laughs> Before we say goodbye, Gary, let's talk music a little bit. Cause I know, I know that you play bass cause I've played with you actually in New Orleans on that same trip. We were at a tech ed oh, jam God, session. We played so a little bit, <laughs> but you, you do like to mess around with, uh, with music creation and just, uh, how does, how does that work? How does that fit in your life? Well, uh, probably, I, I mean, one of the, one of the, I'm actually a uh, trained composer. All right. So, I mean, not two years worth of training and I've, and I've done a fair amount of composition. I'm, I'm not a great live player, you know, mm-hmm. but in, but give me, uh, you know, give me a good, you know, I, I use logic pro now all the time mm-hmm. and I can do reasonably good stuff that sounds quite professional. I've had some of it on ABC news and, and on the BBC and, uh, uh, we had a, a strange little that SLCN thing you mentioned. Mm. We had a bunch of virtual TV shows, and I wrote all the music for them. And nobody wow. would have known. I mean, they said, "Oh, yeah, that cheesy intro." Yeah, it's like, yeah, that that's professionalism as far as I'm a good cheesy intro. I feel good about that, <laughs> you know. Can so, you actually uh, feel a a sort of a counterpoint to using the other side of your brain? Do you actually feel it as sort of? Uh, like I mean, I do. I feel like if I do too much development, I'm I want to pick up my guitar and play for an hour. And if I do too much of that, I have to go write some code or learn something new. Um, do you find that sort of balance constantly going back and forth? I need more of that. I think that you are absolutely right that 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 balance really helps you do both better. And I've you know I I've been guilty of getting into a little bit of a software tunnel. Uh, so over the past couple of years, I've been focusing on doing a little bit more composing. I wake up in the morning and there's something in my head and I have the whole thing composed. And wow. so I'll sit down and, and, uh, but that's the way it is too. You know, you, you I'm, I'm sure you write a song sure. and a lot of it's in your head before you actually sit down oh, yeah. and, and, and get it out, you know, the best ones anyway. It's, yeah. It's, it's good to, it's good to switch gears like that. And, uh, you know, Can we hear I, I mean, any of your compositions? Are they online? I'll, I, well, I'll—they're not online in anywhere that I can give them to you quickly, but I can send you a link right after the show. Okay. Is this something you want to share with everybody? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> give, give, give me a sec. Put me on and, the spot. Uh, I know, but no, no, it's all right. Let me see if I can uh, find somewhere. Well, where yeah, I can give do me- it now. I just wonder if we could make it public. Oh yeah, yeah. In fact, I've got like they'll I've got like eight links to uh uh some some of the show intros I've done. Right. Uh like the like I, I did this one for the sports show that that everybody really loved. And I'll just give you the links to them okay. and inside if you want to splice one in or do do anything with you you want with it. I mean it's it's not like I it's not like I I'm trying to be an online composer no, or something sure. like that. Oh, it'd be interesting to hear. I, I do have an it'll, an interesting mission. I have become a pretty good underwater videographer. Oh, and, neat. Uh, yeah, like like uh, Grace and I are really huge scuba divers, and uh, we go to the Great Barrier Reef a lot. And we have one of the one of the uh, one of the world's most amazing uh, pier dives just uh, ten minutes from our front door. Wow! Where there's some really rare species that people actually travel from other parts of the country and even overseas just to go to this one spot. Wow! And uh, so both of us go down there with our video cameras and create some pretty cool videos. And I've been using 
music from CC Mixter uh, a, a lot lately for them. But I've decided, hey, I'm going to start writing my own. It's nice to have yeah. a focus, you know. It's nice to have. I'm going to start writing my own underwater compositions. <laughs> <laughs> that's, no, that, that's your mantra. I write my own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's. I tell you, it is unbelievable what it does for your brain now. Yeah, it just it it just like you said. It's great stuff. So when are we going to go back to New Orleans, man? You know, I haven't. It's really weird. I haven't been back there since before Katrina. Like I remember reading about all the horrible stuff that went on then, and I yeah. just—it's a city I've always loved, and I'd love to go back. Hey, have you been back? Oh yeah, several times. Um, I I just made a new a new friend, uh, John Cleary, who's a musician, a New Orleans musician, who's sort of uh, carrying forward the flame of that Professor Longhair meters. Uh, Neville Brothers, Dr. John style, stride piano style in particular. And uh, he's freaking phenomenal. So I kind of have a feeling our paths are going to cross down there at some point. I'll let you know. Maybe you okay. could take a boat over. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, uh, <clears throat> it would be a bit of a slow boat. Uh, have you ever been to Australia? Yeah. In fact, Richard and I did a tech ed there in 2009. Something oh, okay. Two thousand eight, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Shame yeah. I didn't know it. That shame we weren't in contact at the time. I yeah. could have shown you the sites. That's right. So oh, I was uh, a bit busy. We were, we were yes. moving. We were moving our uh, files from a data center to the cloud. Yeah. So I was. A oh bit, yeah. I was a bit on head down at the time, but we'll do it. We'll get together, Gary. It's been fantastic. Thanks for catching up with us and. Uh, and man, you're doing some great stuff. I'm very, 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 it's very cool. Well, you know, I'll be programming when I'm 80. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, I hope. All right, we'll yep. see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a